Turn with me to John uh, to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. We will turn to John chapter 6 uh, later in the sermon. Exodus chapter 16. I just got back from a conference with a lot of good preaching, and some of you are going to listen to those sermons. So when you hear something in this sermon that came from one of those sermons, I'm not trying to sound smarter than I am. So just to warn you. I got some of this stuff from other people, and specifically at the T4G conference. So if you want to hear it spoken uh, in a more eloquent way, listen to me and then listen to them, and you'll get the best of both worlds. Exodus chapter 16. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's, it's a long chapter, but it's all one story. And it's, a, it's just a few, it's a few weeks, a month after they went through the Red Sea. In verse 1, the Bible says, And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. So the wilderness of Sin or Sin is where Sinai is. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. That's one month after Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. You have brought us out to this wilderness to die, to, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer, which is about two quarts, for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so, and gathered, some more and some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who had gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's needs. And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. 
and Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning, as Moses commanded. And it did not snake, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day together, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called it, called its name manna. They called it manna because the Hebrew word for what is is man or man. So they literally called it what is it or something like whatchamacallits. <laughs> and it was like white coriander seed and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. When we preach what we call expository preaching, we take a passage, and we explain the passage, and we apply it. That's expository preaching. Explain the passage and apply it. But it doesn't, but when we explain a passage, sometimes we find that Jesus explained it already in the New Testament. So at, at the second half of the sermon, we're going to go and look at Jesus' Jesus's expository sermon on Exodus 16. Now, when Jesus preaches an expository sermon, he explains what it meant, and then he adds new stuff to it. We don't do that kind of stuff. So uh, when we look at an expository sermon in the New Testament, it looks different than what I do because Jesus is adding new information. But it's the same thing. Explain it and apply it. And so when you're studying the Bible, don't just try to understand an Old Testament by itself, Old Testament passage. Look to where it's been explained in the New Testament. That's how, that's how you study the Bible. That's what we're going to do today. So for the Israelites... Uh, they, they're, they're, they're starting their journey out. They've been slaves. They were freed at the Red Sea. Remember last, uh, last week, they, three days into the wilderness, they ran out of water. Now a month, they've run out of food. That's a real problem in the desert. And the question is, this passage asks, can God provide for his people? Will God provide for his people? Because sometimes you can say God can, but will God provide for his people? And that's an easy question to ask about food in America right now. But let's take ourselves back 3,000 years to a desert and ask, will God provide food? The passage is going to show us that God gives his people what they truly need, what will truly satisfy them. 
not just in this life, but forever. That's the big picture. You're not going to see it just in this passage, but you're going to see it expanded elsewhere. But here we see God's care for his people. There's an immediate problem. This isn't sort of like, what's going to happen to you when you die? Are you going to go to heaven or not? This is, there's no food left. And we're a month into the desert, which means no Walmarts, no fields, there's nothing. And there's so many of them that even if they found some food out there, it wouldn't be enough for everybody. So there's an immediate problem. There's no food. And there's no prospects for food. Now, we're, we sort of look down on the Israelites because we're like, oh, my goodness, they never believe anything. Let's imagine you're in a place with no food and your kids are hungry. And they're going to starve to death. What's your reaction? I'd imagine it would be a lot like this. Hey, we're going to die out here. It's obvious that we're going to die because there's no food and we're a month away from anywhere else. Now, here's what's interesting. Who brought them there? God brought them there, which means he waited until all their food ran out before he did anything. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you any food until you don't have any food left. God created the problem in a sense. He said, when you run out of food, then we'll talk. And so they're pushed all the way to the end. And so it is difficult to see their perspective. But when you put yourselves in their place, they knew that if God could split the Red Sea, he could have given them food two weeks in. But he didn't. Or three weeks in. Now it's a month in. And there was no food left. And it looks like, based on experience, that was it. There was nothing left. Fisk says, we must remember that they were men engrossed with the present that the comforter was not then given, and that they were destitute of all visible means of sustenance and cut off from every visible comfort with only the promise of an unseen God to look to as the ground of their hope. Who's to say they wouldn't die in the wilderness? Who's to say they wouldn't just starve? That's what happened to everybody else who went to the wilderness without food. God hadn't provided food yet. What's to say he was going to provide food? And so they have an immediate problem that God had allowed to happen. And so, what it, so they, they complain, they grumble to Moses and basically say, you brought us out here to die. I wish we'd gone back. To, we should have stayed in Egypt and died. At least our bellies would be full. And so what does God do? God provides an immediate solution. Now, he waits, didn't have any food, and then he says, here's your solution. Look in verse 4. After they complained, says you're going to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, with no anger, no judgment. He's dealing with children. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. Have you ever seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? No. The book. He creates a machine that makes it rain food. That's what happened here. Literally, food fell from the sky. That's an immediate solution, isn't it? So they say, we don't have any food left. God says, I'll fix that. I will rain down bread from heaven to fix your problem immediately. But he did this as a test. Now, the, the food wasn't the test. The lack of food wasn't the test. The test was, now that I've given you food, are you going to listen to me? Because look what he says here. And it shall be on the sixth, uh, it says, behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them after the bread came whether they will walk in my law or not. And here's how he would test them. And it shall be on the, on the sixth day that shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. 
So God says, I'm going to give you food because I take care of my people. Now that I've given you the food, I'm going to test you. I'm going to, I'm going to train you. You see, the people had a lack of faith. Now, they played it off like a lack of faith in Moses. Look at verse 2. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. They didn't complain against God. They didn't blame God for these problems. They blamed the guy that took them there. Who took them into this place? Moses took them there. They said, Moses, you brought us here. You're wrong. And then look at verse 8. Moses says, wait a minute, let me correct you. He says, the Lord's going to take care of you. And then the end of verse 8, for the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. As we've gone through the book of Exodus, remember what God told Moses in the beginning when he went to Pharaoh? He said, I will make you as God to Pharaoh. That's a powerful statement. He said, when you speak to Pharaoh, Pharaoh will hear God. It's the voice of a prophet. Israel didn't get the message. Moses wasn't as God to them. Moses was just another guy who was leading them into a bad place. And so they said, well, it's okay to complain against him. Not God, but him. But Moses saying, no, it's the word of God you're complaining against. It's God himself. When someone brings you the word of God and you resist that person, you are resisting God. And so they had a lack of faith. So God says, I know you have a lack of faith. How are we going to fix that? I'll train you. I'll test you. And so it's training in faith. So he says in, four, in verse 4, I'll, I'll send, I'll give you a test. In verse 5, he says, here's the test, sixth day. But then he gives a further test in verse 19. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Don't save any. Easy task, right? Right, but you don't have any food left at that point. And who's to say you're going to have food the next day? You see, back in that culture, if you didn't have it, you weren't getting it. Where was the food going to come from? So there was an actual inclination to save the leftovers for breakfast because breakfast may not exist if you don't. So they were saving some, which was natural, which was what everyone would do back in that time. But God says, let no one leave any till morning. What did they do? They left it till morning. Verse 27. Now it happened that on this, it says, verse 26, six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will be none. Now it happened that some of them, the people went out on the seventh day to gather. Why? They didn't believe Moses was telling the truth. Now, they may have said, okay, we think he is, but we're going to make sure, just in case he's not telling the truth, we're going to make sure, take care of ourselves. Lay up for ourselves something for tomorrow. Be wise with our, our resources. But wisdom doesn't trump Scripture. What you do naturally to make things work does not trump what God specifically tells you to do. So God's giving them a test. He's training them. And look, the training works. It takes a little bit. It says they went out in verse, uh, verse 19. Don't leave it until morning. But they did. It bred worms. Moses was angry with them. Verse 21. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. They did that for 40 years. The training worked. They failed. Then they learned. And they stopped gathering and keeping overnight. Same with the Sabbath. It says they went out, and God says, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? But then look at verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. The training's working very slowly and very fitfully. But that's the point of what's happening here. God didn't bring them out there and say, Uh-oh, 
now we've got a problem. How am I going to fix this problem with my superpowers? He said, Israel has a problem. How am I going to fix Israel's problem? I'm going to bring them to a place where they have nothing but me. Then I'm going to give them something and see if they'll do what I tell them with it. They won't, but then we'll do it again. And now they'll do it. And we'll practice week after week. Every sixth day, you gather twice. Every morning, you gather what's for that day. Training them to do what? Trust God. Trust God when you're afraid you're going to die. Trust God when you're afraid you're going to be hungry. And this is a lesson you can't just do one time. That's why, look at verse 32. Then Moses says, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Why would they need to see it? Because they're going to have a lack of faith. And they need to be trained. They need to be trained with methods, with means to trust God. Because you continually need to be reminded, which you already knew but forgot, that God takes care of his people. And so the plan in the wilderness was every morning they'd be tested and trained. And every Saturday or every Friday they would be tested and trained week after week. And then they would transfer that to their kids. They would say, look what God did. See it? Walk next to the ark. Look inside. See that magic bread, that miracle bread still there? That's how God took care of us. Now you believe. There's a problem that's been presenting here. Dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction is brought out here, but it's also brought out in the rest of the Bible. See, dissatisfaction is a rule in this world. Because of sin, dissatisfaction is always there with everything. And if you get that, life makes more sense. Not satisfied with your work? Of course not. Not satisfied with your kids? Of course not. Not satisfied with the meal you made? Of course not. Not satisfied with the preaching? Of course not. Dissatisfaction is a rule in this world because this world is broken. And broken things don't do what they're supposed to do. People and nature. Israel was not satisfied with their daily bread, so they went and tried to store it up two days in a row. They weren't satisfied with storing up two days twice on, on Friday, so they went out Sunday. They weren't satisfied with what God was going to give them the next day. They weren't satisfied with God's word. They wanted to do more. They couldn't get enough. This is how it's always been. Genesis 3, verse 1. In a perfect world, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, in a phrase that has changed reality, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Here's the basic message that Satan is telling Eve. It's not good enough what you've got. You need something more. 
Your daily bread that you got, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, that manna today, that's great. But it's not good enough for tomorrow. God said this, but you need more. Aren't you dissatisfied, Eve? Isn't there something missing in your life, Eve? Wouldn't you like to fill that gap? God won't fill it. In fact, he's holding it back from you. You need to go out and get it yourself. You need to take that fruit, and you need to eat it. And what happens? So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, it would satisfy her. She said, she took of its fruit and ate. See the problem that Israel had that was introduced with sin? It's not good enough. You need more. And God's not going to give it to you. You need to take it for yourself. I know God said this, but here's what's really happening. Now, what does all this mean? Turn to John chapter 6, and Jesus is going to tell us what this passage means. In John chapter 6, Jesus gives a, 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 a visual lesson and a, and a verbal lesson on what it means in Exodus 16. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 15, he performs a miracle. He actually performs the same miracle as in the wilderness. 5,000 men show up, so there's probably about 10,000 people there. They're hungry. There's no food. They're out in a desert place. What are they going to do? Jesus says, I'll do the same thing that I did back in Exodus. I'll give you bread and meat. And so he feeds, he feeds what we call feeding the 5,000, but it's more like feeding the 10 or 15,000. Matt with, with miraculous bread, just like in the Old Testament. But Jesus knows something about the world that they didn't know. He knows that this world doesn't satisfy. And he can make all the bread in the world, and it won't satisfy them. They didn't know that, though. So look what Jesus says to them. He repeats the man a miracle. But then in verse 26, John chapter 6 and verse 26, Jesus answered, they came looking for him again. They wanted more bread from God. That's legitimate, isn't it? Going to God to get your daily needs. But Jesus sees things as they are. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. That's good, isn't it? We want seekers. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You weren't satisfied with that meal because it's gone. And you started following me again. You prayed so you could fill your bellies. He identifies what people are really looking for to fill their belly. They can pretend they're following Jesus. We can pretend. Jesus says, I know why you're here, because I can give you stuff to fill your belly. You're hungry. Often we can pray in a spiritual way for physical things that are nothing more than filling our belly. Praying for sickness. Lord, heal me. Why? Because I'm not satisfied when I'm sick. I'm discontent. So make me happy. Lord, I need money to provide. No, you need money because you're dissatisfied with what you have. That's what Jesus is saying here. Before we go on to the miracles, he's identifying the problem with people. Just like Eve. Eve had everything, but Satan said it's not enough. The Israelites had bread for that day, and God said, I'll give you bread for tomorrow, but it wasn't enough. And Jesus is saying to these people and to us, your stomach's always going to be empty. You're always going to be hungry. You're always going to be dissatisfied. Look at verse 27. He undermines the entire world. He says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Verse uh, 49, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. Jesus says to them, the best thing you can get out of this life is a meal, and then you die. That's it. Jesus says, I can stay with you and feed you every day with wafers made with honey. Now, wafers made with honey doesn't sound like much unless you don't have anything, and you don't have any sweetener, and maybe you'll find honey in the wilderness. So your options are unsweetened bread, which is normal, or maybe you come across some honey. Well, God says, I'm going to give you the best food possible, bread with honey, and I'm going to give it to you every day. And Jesus is saying, isn't it great they ate that bread, they ate the best food that God could ever give them, and then they died. So when you go to God asking for things, Jesus gave them bread, but God's going to say to you, I may give you this, but you're going to die. This will not satisfy you. Nothing that God can give you in this world will satisfy you. Sometimes we want to skip to, but Jesus can't. But let's stop and listen to what Jesus is saying here. We're like, ah, the manna from heaven. We're praying for manna for heaven. Jesus is saying, stop focusing on the manna because it's going to put you in a grave. Stop asking for all this stuff on earth because where does it end up? Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. The entire book of Ecclesiastes says, if God gave you everything you asked for, you'd end up unhappy and dissatisfied. If he gave you the best of this world, you'd be unhappy and dissatisfied in the end, if that's all you've got. Jesus undermines the world. And if we don't see that, we don't see what he's got to offer. There's a James Bond movie where, you know, halfway through the movie, he gets caught by the villain who he thought was his friend in the beginning, or her, I think it was. And he's, and he's captured. He's strapped this sort of mechanical chair that's going to kill him. And the villain says, if you had just joined me, I could have given you the world. And James Bond, in his cool way, says, the world's not enough. Why does that stick? Because James Bond has everything. He has an Aston Martin, the coolest car in the world. He's got cool gadgets. He's got charm and looks. He gets everything he wants. And he says, the world's not enough. And all of us say to ourselves, no, but if I had what he had, it would be enough. C.S. Lewis says this in a different way. Most people, if they've really learned to look into their own hearts, just a side note, that's why distractions are the biggest business in America so you never have to look into your own heart, would know that they do not want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I'm not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in reality. I think everybody knows what I mean. The wife or the husband may be a good wife or husband, and the hotels and the scenery may have been excellent, and the chemistry may have been a very interesting job but something has evaded us. 
C.S. Lewis is just repeating Jesus. Your fathers got the best, and they died. Don't labor for food that will satisfy you for a minute. Look for something else. What? Another job? Another kind of food? Uh, Family? Social work? No. You get all that, you die. And so what does Jesus say? He goes, I offer you better manna than I gave them. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna, and they died, but I am the bread of life. Jesus offers true, satisfying bread. Verse 32, then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give them bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread. True bread. Was that fake bread before? It was real, but it wasn't what satisfies. It wasn't true. It wasn't what gets you through that longing. He goes, I give you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying, if you want to be satisfied in this world, you've got to get something that's not from this world. The only thing that satisfies you in this world is something from another world. He's been saying it for 2,000 years. You want to be happy? Look around you and say, nothing I can see will make me happy. And then look where you can't see. That's what Jesus is saying. Look for, to heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Whatever you're talking about, we want that. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. God doesn't give you things. He gives you himself. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But wait, they're saying, but I am hungry right now. Where's the bread? He's saying, no, you've got a different kind of hunger. I'm here to satisfy a hunger that's always there, that never goes away, that distracts. Yeah, you can get the dopamine hit from the Facebook like or the, the, the Internet web page. It'll make you feel good for a second. And you're like, oh, I'm happy. Oh, now I'm not happy. Well, that paycheck, that, that raise, that first raise you get, that makes you feel good, doesn't it? When your baby's born, makes you feel good, doesn't it? Then what? then you're not happy. Now you got to do something else. you got to do something more. you got to keep on going. He says, I'll give you something where you'll never hunger. It will always satisfy you. It will, it will, you'll never thirst. Well, the question is, how do we get that? Because they were following Jesus, weren't they? They were listening to his words. They were asking him for things, but they weren't satisfied. Are we just doing the same thing? We'll do whatever Jesus says. We'll follow him. Yeah, just give us what we want. He says, no, there's more than that. You want Christ? Your lack of faith is the barrier. Verse 36, but I said to you, you have seen me and yet do not believe. God says, I'll satisfy you if you give me everything. Total commitment. That's what he says down further down the passage. He says, most assuredly, I say to you in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. You know they were accused of cannibalism for preaching this? What is he talking about? Eat his flesh and drink his blood? 
You know what he's saying? And they got it. He's saying total 100% commitment and union with me. You're not here for the bread. You're not here for the blessings. You're here for me. And everything goes into it. And you know what they did? Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. Does that sound familiar? Who else was complaining? The unfaithful Jews in the desert. Now here they are standing in front of Jesus complaining. And he says, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? And in verse 66, for that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Why? He asked too much from them. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, you give me everything, and I'll give you everything. But if you're not going to give me everything, you're on your own. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Total life commitment. See, we're so much about ask Jesus to forgive you and you go to heaven. Yeah, that's true, but this is truer. Totally commit to Christ. Give up everything. Drink his blood. Eat his flesh. Why did he use that language? To weed out people who did not believe. So what do we do? How do we have that union? Jesus says, look at verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. And they are life. The words. Now, I thought Jesus was the life. He is. How do you eat Jesus? How do you get him? My words are life. He says, when they leave him, Jesus says to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You remember Israel? They said, Moses, you led us astray. And Moses says, you're not mad at me. You're mad at God. The words of God connect you with God. What is God asking from us? Total commitment to his word. But the word doesn't save us. Christ saves us. But you can't have Christ without his word. The word is the life. You remember Christ to be filled. Remember the Omer that they saved? They said, this is how Christ fed you. Remember that. Be filled on not food, not luxury, not pleasure, but on knowing there's something in heaven that's filling you inside where you need it. Satan reminds us that we're not happy. He tells us that we're dissatisfied. But God says, I can counter that. I'll give you a ritual. Because Satan's got his own that constantly reminds you. Maybe it's the, the TV shows that you watch with the lifestyle that you want. Maybe it's the ads that come on, the commercials. You're like, just get this and you'll be happy. That's Satan's rituals. Jesus has a ritual. It's called the Lord's Supper. It reminds us that there's bread from heaven. Lord, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Now wait. We heard that before. Eve, she took and she ate and she died. Jesus is like, here's what I'm going to do. I'll die. You take and eat. Jesus says, this world's not going to satisfy you, so I'm going to break this world. I'm going to undo everything Satan gave to you. Every bread that you took that destroyed you, I'm going to undo it. 
take it and eat it. How did he do that? This is my body, which was broken for you. Christ, the bread of life, was broken so that we could eat and be truly filled. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me, what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn. All glory be to Christ. His will be done. His kingdom come on earth as is above, who is himself our daily bread. Praise him, the Lord of love. All glory be to Christ. Let's pray.